How the Worst Week of My Life Became the Best Week of My Life, Part 2. If you haven't watched Part 1, take a look at it here. So in the first video, I described how for the first several years of my life, or the time between teenage years and early adulthood, there was almost constant anxiety or constant struggle internally, suffering, which of course spilled over externally as well. And I really didn't know what to do about it. I knew it had something to do with thoughts. I knew it had something to do with me, or I thought it did. And the thought would just spin around in my mind, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And I went through a breakup at one point, and that was kind of like the final nail in the coffin uh, as far as hope is concerned. Hope that some external situation in life would make me finally feel better. When that external situation, uh, dating somebody that I really was attracted to that I thought would make me happy, when that didn't work out, I was left in a deeper despair than I had known before, even though I had known a lot of despair, because it was kind of like the last hope that the one thing I hadn't really had a romance or you know a connection with another human being would finally make me feel better. I don't even think I had looked at that belief closely, but I certainly held the belief. And when the rug was pulled out in that way, kind of set up the perfect storm, but this storm started with a lot of despair. Now, I should mention that I had meditated for a few years before this, and I had a pretty steady daily practice. And the meditation was helpful. It made me feel relaxed. It calmed my mind. Sometimes I even had peace or moments of deep uh, settledness, moments of clarity that felt very good, but they were fleeting. There were even a couple times when it would last for a day or two. But on the other side, the despair was just as solid, just as real as it was before. So meditation, although it was part of my experience or part of my life, really only gave temporary relief while I was meditating. Sometimes it spilled over a bit, but didn't fundamentally change anything. Now, after this situation that I discussed in the first video and just mentioned here, the breakup, while I was left in a place of hopelessness and helplessness and just realizing no matter how I thought about things, and now I knew no matter how things changed on the outside, the deep feeling of dissatisfaction, the thorough feeling of anxiety and trying to figure out the problem of me was just ongoing. It was kind of a moment of resignation where I resigned to the fact that I was going to just feel like this and there was nothing I could do about it. Now, as terrible as that might sound, the resignation itself sort of helped me realize what the next step had to be. I didn't know it at the moment, but as I mentioned as well in the first video, there was another element of experience that came online when I hit this pit of despair and it was surprising. It was something like a glimmer in the shadows, not a glimmer of hope. It wasn't a thought. 
wasn't hoping for a future of some kind. It was actually rather the opposite. It was something that was opening to a depth in the moment. It's very hard to talk about this because it wasn't a visual experience directly. It wasn't an auditory experience, and it definitely wasn't a thought experience. But it was very obviously real, and it was in the environment, and it was suddenly revealing itself. So while there was this mass of anxiety and frustration and despair, helplessness and surrender, resignation to the experience, there was also something new, or at least something I hadn't experienced for a long time. At the same time, it felt very familiar. It felt almost ancient, but these descriptions really fall short. What was true about this was it was more real than what I had experienced up to this point. It was more real, it was more close in a way. It was also more all-encompassing, which is rather paradoxical because when I first started to notice it, it would come and go. It was fleeting, it wasn't constant, but there was a feeling of totality about it. There was something rather compelling, rather vast, rather oceanic about it. So again, very difficult to talk about this, but there was something so interesting, so compelling about it. At first it seemed to come and go, or my attention could not stay with it. But every time I noticed, it was there again. Every time I sort of remembered, it was there again. It was confirmed immediately by noticing. It was confirmed immediately by just sort of remembering to look. And this went on for a while, a couple of days. I would go to sleep feeling hopeless, feeling despair, but there was something else sort of happening, something else in the periphery. And I would wake up and the same thing. It would be something in the periphery was interesting and compelling, but then I would remember the story of me. I would remember all of the suffering. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm the suffering guy. I'm the one that's suffering. I'm the one that struggles. I'm the one that has all these thoughts. So it was interesting the effect this experience was having. It was almost like pulling a layer of myself back from myself, such that I could become aware of my suffering as a mass of thoughts, beliefs, and memories. But what was pulling that back? What was it that was noticing that that was being pulled back? And what was this new dimension of experience that was coming in that was just so simply and innocently appearing every time I looked, every time I noticed it was there? And this evolved to the point where that pulling back of the collection of beliefs, memories, thoughts, the story that I was a suffering human became far more pulled back. It felt less real. My suffering felt less real. But wasn't I the one that was suffering? Didn't that suffering tell a story about me? So who am I when that story starts to get peeled away? It was a very interesting question, but it didn't captivate me as a koan what captivated me actually was the experience that was coming more and more frequently. It was becoming more and more obvious. It was becoming obvious that the story of me, the suffering me, the one that felt like the one that was suffering, that whole 
identity structure itself was not nearly as real as I thought it was. It sort of felt secondary or it felt thought-based, whereas this new dimension of experience felt more primary, felt more obviously there all the time and more compelling. So there was sort of a transition between the suffering being more prominent and this very interesting experience that felt ill-defined or undefined, yet obvious, being less prominent to that ill-defined, fascinating, innocent, simple experience becoming the most prominent thing in experience. And the story of me becoming far less prominent, that would come and go now. So this experience of the ineffable, of mystery, of something beyond me, of clarity, was now obviously primary. I don't think my identity had really shifted at this point, I hadn't let go of anything, but I felt like I had a leg in two different worlds. One leg in the world of the suffering that could never be dealt with, that would never end, that was bound by time, that was bound to me. And I had another leg in something that felt, quite honestly, like nothing at all I'd ever experienced in that world, and yet familiar. It's not a memory, but it's too obvious to have to be remembered. It's not somewhere specific in my experience, but thus it was kind of everywhere. It was always there when I noticed it, which means it's actually not in time. It's not time or thought bound. And this was becoming clear to me. I'm not sure I could have said it in the moment, but in retrospect, that's what was happening. So suddenly I became very interested in this, far more interested, maybe a little obsessed with it, such that I just followed it. And somewhere along the line this week, I picked up a book that I hadn't ever opened. I had it on my shelf. I knew it was there, but for some reason it was rather uninteresting when I first got it. I think I had gotten it for a class in college. But all of a sudden it became very interesting. I knew to look in this book. I don't know why I knew it, but I knew it. It was called The Three Pillars of Zen. And I opened it to a specific chapter called Interviews with a Zen Master, where the Zen teacher or the Zen master would talk to a student in the Dokusan room in the Zen monastery or Zen temple. So it was a face-to-face -face encounter. And what they were doing was working on this possibility called Kensho, which means awakening. And I was so fascinated because what I realized pretty quickly is what that Zen master was pointing to was exactly what I was starting to experience. But I also knew nothing had shifted yet. The identity hadn't been altered. This process wasn't fully on its own yet. It still felt like I was pushing the process along or I was having to do something but I could completely understand these conversations between the Zen master and the students. Even if they were talking about things I didn't really know, like koans or certain inquiry questions, but it didn't matter. Something was being transmitted in these words. And I was fascinated. I read that chapter over and over and over because I could feel where that Zen master was telling the students to orient their experience. I could tell. And a couple of things he said stuck out tremendously. 
One was he was describing how to use a koan, specifically mu, what is mu. And he said, treat it like you're a train on a track and mu is the track. And the track goes on to infinity in front of you. Stay on the track, don't deviate. Don't deviate from mu. The question, what is mu or just mu? For me, it wasn't mu necessarily because this experience was already coming to me. So I just oriented to it and I didn't deviate. I was fascinated by it. I didn't even have to ask what it was. There was so much curiosity. So I oriented to this sort of mystical experience that was just appearing here and there, the first subtly and over time became very prominent. So then I not just oriented to it, I didn't let go of it. I was like a dog with a bone. I just kept my attention with this no matter where I went and what I did all day long. When I was working, when I was meditating, when I was walking and driving, when I was sitting, I stayed right with it. I didn't make any space between myself and it. And things started to change very quickly in ways I can't describe, but I could feel through things. I could feel that things weren't solid like I thought they were before. I could see thoughts as thoughts. I knew thoughts weren't really pointing to anything. They were just thoughts. And every time I released myself from a thought, every time I let go of a thought, it became clearer and clearer. Something was opening up. At this point, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't care what it was. I wasn't trying to get something called Ken Show. I wasn't trying to get what I thought the people in the book were getting. I was just following the instructions and letting go. So for me, it was a matter of letting go and complete focus of attention on the one thing that was a true mystery to me, but also felt more real and more right than anything I had ever experienced. So I was tenacious in this way because everything before this had been nothing but suffering. I was thoroughly convinced that nothing I could do in life was gonna make me feel better in the usual ways we do things. I certainly knew any way I think about myself isn't gonna make me feel better. In fact, by now it was very clear, it makes me feel worse. The problem was up there in thought. So I stayed 100% focused. It was like combustion. Something was definitely changing. Something was on fire in this experience. And it was truly exciting. Now I wanna point out that there was still a lot of desperation here, a lot of angst, hopelessness, helplessness, but that was actually part of the equation now. It was all mixed in together. The feeling of me being a separate person in this life, the feeling of angst and surrender and just being completely obliterated by helplessness and this mystical experience I had been talking about that just appeared so subtly, but was always there, was always right on, more real than real. All of that was the same thing now. There was no separation between any of it. And this led to extremely profound and deep meditative states that I had never experienced before. They went beyond description. They went beyond this lifetime, this body-mind, the structure of reality as we know it and see it and feel it and taste it. These states that were occurring in meditation were just beyond, completely indescribable such that I didn't open my eyes at the end of meditation and want to talk about it because I knew there was no way to talk about it. 
And yet, there was still something holding on. I could feel it. So from here on out, it was just a matter of discerning extremely clearly, looking very closely at what thoughts were, what thoughts weren't, and where attention was grabbing onto a thought, where identifying with any thought was occurring, whether it was a doubt thought, a belief about me thought, a belief about the past or future thought. So disidentifying from one thought after another in a very precise way, at the same time as I was giving myself so fully to this experience, it culminated in something rather surprising, something profoundly transformative, something that changed everything, something that opened me up beyond anything I had ever experienced, hands down. This is what led me to awakening. And in the next video, I'm gonna describe as clearly as I can with words, what it was like to go through that, that shift. And most importantly, what the implications are, what followed it and where it led.